Take your copy of God's Word today, if you will, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. What a blessed morning we've had this morning. Amen? We've been able to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and now we get to turn to His Word, and we get to uh, hear His Word speak to us. And as I've been studying through these last few passages, as I've been looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, I know I, I know I went back to chapter 4 for just a moment last week, but really those last couple of chapters in Ephesians, I am reminded of how practical the Scripture is. I'm reminded that the Scripture teaches us salvation, and that salvation makes a difference in our daily lives. I'm reminded that I can go to the Scripture and I can find direction and instruction in my daily life. I am recognizing more and more how Jesus Christ is the wisdom that is necessary for us as his people as we live each and every day. And in Ephesians 5, we see it really fleshed out for us. Jesus Christ, he is our example. We are to imitate him, the first verse of the chapter says. And then it gives us the ways in which we are to imitate Jesus, how we are to live each day, how the wisdom of Christ indwells us. And I want to give you what I think is a very practical message today as we look at verses 15 through 18. Look at verse 15 as Paul writes, He has reminded them that they need to wake up in verse 14, that they need to recognize what Christ has done and who he is. And now in verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, he just gets to it here. He begins to list all these practical applications of Christ's salvation and Christ's wisdom in your life. And I want to kind of break it down to you, hopefully as practically as possible today, how Christ's wisdom informs us. Verse 15, he talks to us about how we are to watch our step. Now remember, one of the favorite words that Paul would have in this book is walk. You are to walk. And he'll say it over and over and over again. It's Walk is the idea of conducting yourself in a proper manner. This is your conversation. This is who you are. And he says you are to walk. And here... He says, you need to watch your step as you walk. Verse 15, again, that first word, see, is in the present tense. It means to go on looking around, to go on observing, to be alert as you walk, to be careful, the Scripture would say, that you walk circumspectly. In other words, that you are careful, you are giving attention to your walk. Watch where you step. You know, when you're walking, when you're going about your business, maybe, again, some of you who run cross-country, I'm sorry to mention that again, but it's on my mind because it seemed like every Saturday for us right now is cross-country. And I hope you stayed away from Lincoln Parish Park yesterday if you could because between Ruston, Shudrant, uh, Cedar Creek, and about 4,000 other schools in this state, it was, there were so many people out there. But even if you're running, 
those of you who run, you got to watch where you're running. You got to watch your step. You got to be careful the way you walk. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, if you're going to walk in wisdom, if you're going to have the wisdom of Christ in you, then that means you're going to watch your step. You're going to be careful as you go about your business. Think about this. If you don't watch your step, you can bump into things. You can fall, perhaps. And at the very least, falling is embarrassing. Or bumping into things would be embarrassing. This week, I think it was Wednesday morning, I'd gotten back from New Orleans, and of course, my mind was still somewhat numb uh, as I had been down there, and I'd seen different folks and preached and all. And I came in that morning, and... Those of you who ever see me come in in the morning, I usually have a cup in my hand, a cup of coffee. Some of you say, I see a cup of coffee in your hand in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I see it every time. But I had a cup of coffee, and I was talking to somebody, and I wasn't really paying attention. And I made a turn into the workroom, and when I did, I hit the refrigerator with my coffee. And it was like the coffee just exploded. I mean, I just barely hit the refrigerator, just barely. And it just, and it just went everywhere. And what's more, somebody saw me. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when somebody sees you bump into something. It's embarrassing when you were maybe going to fall. It is rather ironic. I, I had written in my notes, I said, Think, if I had been coming up these steps, now I know I came from the back today, but let's say if I had been coming up these steps and I had tripped, I say it's rather ironic because I don't know if you noticed this a few moments ago, when I hit here at the podium, I did fall into the podium. <laughs> but those of you, if I had fallen, now I know many of you are loving people, loving people. Those in the gathering, there are about three loving people up there today. They would have run down here. You would have run. You'd probably check to make sure I was okay, that I was fine. And then when I got up and I got my composure and I stood, what would you have done? You'd have laughed. <laughs> I know you would have. You just would have. You know, falling can be embarrassing. You got to watch your step. And here he says, this is literally what he says. He says, as you're walking, you need to look around. You need to be alert. You need to see what's out there as you're going about your life because you don't want to fall. You want to walk. And not only can falling be embarrassing, it can be painful. It can be. You know, when I was out west back in the summer and even the summer before, uh, we like to hike a good bit. I know, again, that would seem strange when you look at her. I mean, you look at Leslie and you think, yeah, I understand why they would like to hike, but why would the preacher like to hike? I mean, but we like to hike and always like to kind of like uh, do these tough type of hikes, even when the path is very narrow. And uh, a couple of times we would get, and it would kind of be kind of like a straight down on the side. And, and I'm, I don't like heights. I don't know if I've told you that before. Some of you say, well, how do you hunt? I crawl up to the stand in the dark so I can't see the ground. And I just stay there most of the day until it gets dark again. And I crawl back down where I can't see it when I'm coming down. 
But I would go, and you'd have to watch your step because, I mean, it was close. It was a narrow path. And if I were to take the wrong step, I would, like, literally slide down this rocky area. And, and I mean, because if you, if you misstep, it can be painful. It can hurt. Why does the Scripture give us so much instruction about daily life? Because God knows that it hurts. God knows. He watches His children and He sees them sometimes take a misstep and, and, and slide. And it is painful for them. Now, I am grateful for a God who loves us. I'm grateful for a God that will come and pick us up and dust us off. And I am grateful for a God who will look at our boo-boos and who will mend and bring healing. But what Paul says here is, instead of going through those painful moments, be proactive. Watch. Be careful. Watch what is before you. In Colossians chapter 4, a scripture I preached a few Sunday nights ago. Again, Colossians is the companion to Ephesians, I believe. You'll find so many different similarities. And on Sunday night, I preached through the book of Colossians. And a few weeks ago, I mentioned Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Another reason that you and I don't want to fall is because we don't want to mar our testimony. You want to talk about the pain for us, but also the pain for those that would see us. Now, again, God is redeeming. I am grateful for a God who heals. But you and I must be proactive in our lives because this is what happens. Satan looks and he notices those who are making a difference for the kingdom. And you know who he goes after? Those who are making a difference for the kingdom. If you're not making a difference for the kingdom, he really doesn't care about your testimony right now anyway. But if you're making a difference, he's going to come at you with everything that he has. And he will throw sin right before you. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that as you run the race, as you go about your business, you need to lay aside the sin that so easily entangles you. In other words, there's, there's something he will throw out there to entangle you and to trip you up. And when that happens, it will be on display for all to see. And you must walk in wisdom because there are those outside that are every day looking to see if we are real, authentic in who we are. Now, again, we all mess up. I know that. But it makes a difference when those on the outside note that we have been seeking and searching and those on the outside who would see that we have tried to make every preparation that we can not to fall into these areas. I say to you that as you go about your walk, you must watch your step. In verse 17, he says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, I want to walk and I want to watch my step, and I want to make sure that the step I'm taking is what the Lord intends for me to take. I want to walk in His will. Oh, that's such a difficult thing to think of. To make sure that I stay in the will. Well, let me tell you, God has given you so many different resources to discover his will. One, this word. When you're praying through God's will or you're trying to find it, you need to be in the scripture. 
Fred Wolf, some years ago, told me, he said, Reggie, there's a time in your life when you go to the Scripture and you're studying it. It's not like you come and like say, okay, God, let me see if I can just drop it and you tell me exactly. You know, it'll flip to that page. He said, it's as you're studying, it's as you're working through. Fred Wolf says, you ask God to give you a word in his Scripture. It's not just a word. It is a word definitely for you. You know it. When you come across it, it's like, oh, God, that's, that's exactly See, God reveals so much of his will here. If you think about understanding, Paul is writing a letter to demonstrate the Father's will. They're reading it out loud. That's what we're doing today is studying it because we believe it tells us his will. You and I, I believe we know more about the will of God than what we want to admit sometimes. Sometimes we say, oh, we need to pray about this. When I'll be honest with you, we know exactly what God wants to do in our lives. We've seen it in Scripture. If God tells us to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that's his will. You ain't got to pray about it. Children, if the Scripture teaches us, as we'll see in a few weeks, that you are to obey your parents, you ain't got to go and say, let me see if I need to pray about obeying my parents. The Scripture gives us so much of his will revealed. So we understand and we watch our steps. We don't want to fall, but we want to walk in his will. If you need extra wisdom, James says all you got to do is ask for it. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He said, just come to me, seek me with faith and trust, and ask me for wisdom. Whew. There have been many conversations I've had with God that started, God, I need you. And God, I need some wisdom in how to go about this today. You ask for wisdom. You, you don't ask fearfully. You ask faithfully. So let me just say this, and I need to move on. I do believe that God's path for us is a narrow one from time to time. Where we walk and we try to fulfill His will and we do it, hoping that and praying that through his guidance, we will not fall. But listen to me. I do not believe that this walk is walking on a tightrope. There are too many people today that will come sometimes and they'll say, well, if I make this decision on this job or this decision, will it totally destroy my life? God did not call you to live fearfully. He called you to live faithfully. And... God is going to make his will known to you in some way. And let me say, if it comes down to a decision that you've got to make, I promise you that God is, if, if, if your heart is for him, if you are faithfully trusting him, somehow he will use that decision, whatever that decision is, and he will guide you in the right way. And you should have peace about that. Do you ever think he would look at his children who would truly place their trust in him and try to follow him and then say, Oh, yeah, I'm going to let you go off and do something that is not in my will. Just, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, and then I'm going to make fun of you afterwards. No, he's not going to do that. 
He is the good shepherd who leads us. You can trust him. You can trust him. Hey, watch your step. The other point that I gave the other night that went along with Colossians, that goes along with Ephesians, redeem or buy your time, I should say. Buy your time. Now, usually when you hear that idea of buying the time, what does it mean? It means just trying to run out the clock, right? Buying the time. I don't know if any of you watched those uh, Mississippi teams play those Alabama teams yesterday. Those Mississippi teams were there just to buy the time. Literally in the sense of like, you know, just kind of run out the clock. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. You can't win these games, obviously. So you just kind of just let it just kind of go by. But when I speak about buying the time, and the way I think Paul speaks about it here is making the most of it. Redeeming the time. The word is redeem. It means to like buy, like you were to buy something in the marketplace. Literally, it means that you see one who is being auctioned off as a slave. And you are able to redeem, you are able to buy that individual out of bondage. I love that picture of it because here Paul uses the word and he says, you go and you, you buy back that time. You redeem it. And so many of us in this place, think about it. How it seems like our time is enslaved to so many different things. It's in bondage. And Paul says you need to buy it back. It's in the middle voice, which means that you buy it for yourselves. You buy it. In other words, you make the decision if you will make the most of the opportunity or not. You are to redeem it. You are to free it. You are to make the most of the time. The word that's used for time is not the term that's usually speaking of chronology. Rather, here it is a time speaking of like season. It is the season that you have. It is the opportunity that you have. It is the very moment that you have. It's with a definite article, which means it is restrictive. It is the time. It is the season. It is the opportunity. You recognize that you and I, we have the opportunity right now. Like we, we have the time. I believe that God has fixed the seasons. I believe God knows exactly when he will call us home. And we have just these moments here on this earth to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Now listen, we all go about our businesses. We all have our different types of gifts. We all have our different types of talents. We all have our different types of stations. But I want to say to you that no matter where you are, what you work in, who you are, God has called you to make a difference for the kingdom of God. If you're going to buy back the time, make the most of it, it's not just make the most of it for yourself. It is make the most of it for what God's intention is in your life. Redeem it. For the days are evil. The days are tough. They're evil. And listen, when we look around, we know it's tough. But instead of complaining about the evil days and all the bad stuff we see, maybe we ought to take that breath and redeem that breath for something that would glorify him and advance his kingdom. 
that is stewardship, right? Usually when we talk about stewardship, we talk about money. I'm going to be honest with you. I have more issues of stewardship in my time than I do my money. I tithe. I give above the tithe. I try to do what we're supposed to do in different ministry contexts. And get this, I can always make more money and give more. But I can't get more time. I wish I could sometimes. I wish I'd had a little more sleep last night. You do too. You'd have gotten a better sermon. Just a little. <laughs> Just a little. Couldn't get any more time. Had the same amount of time as you had. Right? Same amount of minutes, same amount of hours. Brister, did you get any extra time last night? You didn't? Hey, I think we're getting one in a couple weeks or so, right? When the time changes. Praise be to the Lord. We all do that every Saturday night. You only have a certain amount of time. It is the season. Are you redeeming it? Are you buying it back? Are you releasing it from the slavery and giving it the freedom in your life to make a difference for the kingdom? Philip Melanchthon, 16th century reformer, it said that every evening he would come together and he would, he would make a list of all the wasted opportunities he had that day. And then he would go to the Lord and he would confess those wasted opportunities and ask God to forgive him for not redeeming the time as he should have. Watch your step. Buy your time. And let me give you this one, thirdly. And I hope I put this in a respectful, nice way to you. I asked Leslie. She looked at me a little strange. I told her it doesn't matter because I preach another service right after this now, so I'm getting out of here fast. <laughs> but listen, listen to my host statement, okay? Get drunk. Get drunk with the Spirit of God. And let me try to explain it to you, okay? Get drunk with the Spirit of God. Verse 18 says, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Or the old King James used to say, wherein is excess. But it says, be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, when I was in college, I struggled a little bit with this verse. Not the first part of it, the second part of it. What did I really struggle with? The idea of being filled with the Spirit. Now, understand, I grew up in a Baptist church. We didn't talk a whole lot about the Spirit. Oh, we did, but we also were a little bit frightened of the Spirit. I mean, when I heard people talk of the Spirit as a child, now, understand, I grew up in these churches like I thought somebody was about to pass out if they talked about the Spirit. I thought something was going to happen. I thought there was electricity going to come upon the congregation. I mean, that was just my childhood thinking, okay? But I also understood from my pastors and all as I was growing up that when you came to Christ, the Spirit of God came in you. He regenerated you, He indwelled you, He baptized you, He sealed you. I'm going to talk more about the ministry of the Spirit Wednesday night if you get a chance to come. But I believe that. So I got to this point and I said, it says, be filled with the Spirit. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And I was wrestling with this in college. I was like, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 says that this was written to the saints. Even if it had been a circular letter that was supposed to go to the rest of the churches, it was still intended for believers. So I'm thinking, 
believers being told to be filled with the Spirit. I already got the Spirit. Why would he tell me to be filled with the Spirit? And then I noticed the parallel of the verse. Because, see, I was just thinking about being filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And there was an old show that kind of gave me a little theology. Some of you say, I knew you got your theology from TV sometimes. There was an old show. Some of you might remember. Most of you, those of you younger, you wouldn't know necessarily unless you watch it on Netflix. But it was an old show that was in reruns when I would come home in the afternoon. It was an old show called The Andy Griffith Show. The Andy Griffith Show. And there was a guy on there named Otis. <laughs> and almost every time you saw Otis in a scene, he was drunk, right? He was drunk. He was the town drunk. And he had come in, and you could tell he was drunk. He would... He'd have, you know, he'd have his, his coat kind of over to the side. His hat would be out. Sometimes it wouldn't be. He might have something else on top of his head instead of a hat. He'd come in. He would, like, talk. He would sing. He would do all kinds of things. You knew he was drunk. The alcohol had affected his, his thoughts, his words, and his actions there's no doubt. Ah, and then here I am in college, reading this text, trying to understand it the best I can, because how is it that Christians can be filled with the Spirit if we already have the Spirit? I'm reading this text. I'm watching Otis walk across the screen, or wasn't much of a walk. It was a wobble. And all of a sudden it hit me. Verse 18 is about the parallelism. He says, don't come under the influence of alcohol, which will control you, which will, which will determine your thoughts and your words and your actions. He says, do not do that, but this is what you ought to do. You ought to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. You ought to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can be controlled and influenced by Him. Just as the alcohol influences the one who is drunk, so the Spirit of God should influence those of us who call ourselves Christians. You and I can have the Holy Spirit. We, we can be filled or we can be regenerated and dwelt, baptized and sealed, and yet we cannot know, we can still not know the feeling, the influence of the Spirit of our, God, of our God on us if we have not yielded to Him. It is about surrender. Come under the influence of the Spirit, those of us all. And when the Spirit comes to influence us, when we yield ourselves, this is, by the way, this idea of being filled is in the present tense, which means go on being filled. When I got saved, I got all of God I would ever need. I don't need a second, third, fourth, fifth blessing. When I got him, I got all of him. 
Isn't that awesome? He indwelled me. So it's not about how much of him I have. It's more about how much of me he has. It's a coming and saying, God, I yield to your spirit. It's present tense. It means it's ongoing. It's ongoing. In other words, when I get up in the morning, I have to yield to his feeling. His feeling of me. When I go about my work during the day, I have to consciously say, Lord, I want you to feel, I want to surrender to you. I want your spirit to fill me. In the afternoon, the day, when the kids come home from school, I need it bad. Fill me. When I lay down at night, it is a constant surrender. That's what this is. Be not drunk with wine. We're in as excess, but be filled. Now, I surrender, but the Lord is the one who fills. Passive voice verb means I can't act on the filling. I'm not the one that does the filling. I just surrender, and God does the filling. And he provides, and he grants me all that I need. It's not some, again, electrical experience. It's not some ecstatic experience. It is just simply to be yielded and submitted to the Spirit in our lives. We're to walk in wisdom. And he tells us exactly how to do it. Watch your step. Watch where you're walking. Buy your time. Redeem it. And get drunk spiritually. Allow him to totally consume you. You consume him. And yield yourself to his work in your life. How we believers need to hear that still today. Folks, we go through tough days. We see a lot of difficulty maybe in our jobs and in our families. There are days we are begging for wisdom. But yet God has already said, here you are. You can have it. You can see my scripture. You can pray to me. You can seek me. Oh, even you can practice it in your life as you, as you watch your step, as you buy your time, make the most of the opportunity, and you, as you allow the Spirit of God to fill you each and every day. Let me ask you today, do you need to just surrender once again to him? Now, some of you may need to be saved for the very first time. If you do, we're here. And you need to come and you need to give your life to Christ because that's the only way it starts. You can't think about walking on your own. Listen, listen. You can't watch your step on your own because your own judgment will always lead you astray. You need God to intervene in your life. And he came through Jesus Christ and he died for you and he rose again. And the Bible says if you come and give your faith to him, if you trust him, then you will be saved. So if you're lost, you come to be saved. Those of you who are saints, those of you who are set apart, those of you who are believers, this may be a day of recommitment, re-surrender to the Spirit's work as you walk in Him.
Would you hear God's call? Would you be obedient? Would you follow him today and respond as he calls you? And let's pray it together.